Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show that sees life through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. Because in Jeff's World, we blow minds, enlarge hearts, and leave no man or child behind. And now, here's your host, Chief Executive Optimist and President of these Inspired States of Mind, Jeff Stein. Boy, I hope I live up to that one today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've ever lived up to that, but you kind of lift me up, so thank you. Oh, yeah. Likewise, you know, it's fun. As as we know, we're spiritual types and we do our coaching and and leadership uh, and all that stuff with folks. And it's it's tricky. You want to not only lift people, but you know how much we learn just by, even when we go south, to have other people be lifting while we're going south, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. But, the point is, but you always learn from it if you, if you try to, if you try to evolve. Have and, a lifter in your <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, Somebody and, to lift you up. Yeah, Erica and I, and I have a great expression. We always just say everybody in your life is either a teacher, a mirror, or a student, and all of the above, you know, at any, any given moment, because they, they all take those roles. And that, again, that's Erica Fairston, along with Jeff Hendrick and myself, Jeff Stein. Hendrick is out, uh, you know, it's a whole uh, cancer thing. So, you know, oh. treatments, things. Uh, he loves He loves doing this. Uh, for many reasons, yeah. Well, I've never done a show without Hendrick. I this know is my first time, and it it feels like we're missing a huge part. I love his wit and his humor. So, Jeff Hendrick, gonna... if you're listening, love you, miss you. <laughs> Don't gonna... let this happen again. Who's going to scream about the Cheeto boy? You know, and that gives me cover too, because as you know, I have a little bit of an aversion for name calling, but I love it so much as a comedian. <laughs> I enjoy a good name calling. I just don't have the courage anymore to uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> just, just to scream it. Uh, but today on Jeff's World, this might not be a lot of topics because each topic is so dang big. But um, uh, some of the metagame stuff I want to do, we, we uh, replace the word regulations with protections. And I think now it's time to throw out the word compromise and we'll get a new word <laughs> than compromise because that word is now tainted as well. Secondly, well, that's because the compromising has always looked like, you know, one side completely losing, which is not a compromise. Right. Right. It's winners and losers. Right. In fact, I I went up and I grabbed the definition. So I I like that you you tangent here. Let's do this. Uh, Compromise verb. Settle a dispute by mutual concession. Right. That sounds okay. Or also a middle state between conflicting opinions or actions reached by mutual concession or modification. The acceptance of standards that, and then here comes the, here comes the other one. The other compromise, which is <laughs> the definitions, the acceptance of standards that are lower than desirable. Those are the only ones we killed the word with. And then another one as in terms of compromised, bring into dispute or danger by indiscreet, foolish, or reckless behavior. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna talk about a different compromise there. It's a different compromise. Yeah. So my my dad uh, was an attorney, and he worked on a lot of divorces. And he used to tell me that um, a good mediator said he knew he a, a mediator when two people were getting a divorce. He knew he did a good job when both sides left a little upset. Yeah. Right. He said if right? one side left happy, he somebody he goofed. Did not do. Uh. His Gosh, job. That's but, funny you would say, but you're right. That that sounds that absolutely right. That totally sounds right. So there's the other sticky compromise. All right. Also, a prominent politician has named Donald Trump the most presidential president ever. <laughs> we'll say who that is. Uh, we'll talk about the beginning of the Scaramucci era in the White House. 
uh, Anthony Scaramucci, Tony Scaramucci, who is the new communications director, as you've probably heard, who replaced Sean Spicer. He hasn't actually started until August 15th or something, but obviously he's still jumping in. Uh, we will also be butchering Japanese words as we discuss two terms that I keep seeing bounced around lately. One, Republican legal scholars keep using the term kamikaze president. <sighs> and uh, Republicans referring to the Republican health care effort are calling it a Kobayashi Maru, which I don't know if that's a real Japanese word, but I'll explain that one to Erica because she doesn't watch Star Trek. And uh, <laughs> Plus, uh, we'll talk about how the Sessions, the Jeff Sessions, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, how his saga is defining the trajectory of the Republican Party, both for and against. There are patriots and there are traitors, and uh, I want to acknowledge both. Uh, we'll get our merit badge in political discourse. <laughs> yes, that's a Boy Scout reference. All that and a uh, 50-foot dead parrot is in the news. You see the 50-foot dead parrot? I okay. did not. It's it's a Monty Python thing. And I was showing my son who loves Monty Python. And I was trying to explain to him what a national treasure they are in England. And as Monty Python is now having a, another reunion with everyone except, of course, Graham. I love Graham Monty Ch- Python. I know, right? Except for Graham Chapman, of course, who's 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 dead. He's deceased. He's no longer living. Um, so they uh, rolled out a 50-foot de- a dead parrot from the famous dead parrot sketch is what's oh, the parody of. Okay. And threw it in the middle of, I guess it's called Roberts Park, which is right in view of the London bridge so you know in england it's a thing national treasures nice so but anyway um i also want to just talk about why we fight because every once in a while i just feel like you just have to step back from all this and say okay so why are we even paying attention to all this you should have a good reason is what i mean if you're if you're gonna focus on on politics and enjoy this have a good reason and and some of you are probably listening thinking you know I, i don't really have a good I do it because it makes me mad. I do it because it gives me something to be mad at instead Politics of my kids. Politics affects our daily lives. Yeah. And that's a good reason to pay attention. And that's the point. That's it. You got to remind yourself that there's a there's a broader purpose here. And if you're and the reason you remind yourself there's a broader purpose, like uh, like obviously Erica is a great advocate for single payer health care because she's, she's just a duh in her life, right? I'm going to speak for you, mm-hmm. but it's a duh. And but by we have lots of debates, Erica and I, because we have to keep reminding ourselves, both of us, to step back and see that broader purpose and see that as the why so we don't get so caught up in the a-holes that are so obstructing of it right now mm-hmm. <laughs> and doing things that you just go what is wrong with you and that's why i say when you look at the politics and you're asking yourself why you're doing it step back every once in a while and say well what what do i want <laughs> instead of just because uh, we get so caught up in enemy identification and not so much caught in being purpose driven and uh, so that's another thing. I want to talk about the why we fight and how uh, tribalism, I don't know if it's had its high water mark yet. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but it is definitely reaching that nadir. I mean, people are starting to see. And it, it, in fact, we're going to do a little bit of John McCain's speech where there he was, said it right out loud. Tribalism, the word tribalism has finally been made into the mainstream discourse. So that is a very good thing. So coming up, let's do let's do Scaramucci first. So uh, coming up, we'll do that. Uh, I'm Jeff Stein, along with Eric Fairston and a missing Jeff Hendrick. This is Jeff's World. Are we crazy? The rhythm. This is Jeff's World, the place where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture is seen through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Fairston. Jeff Hendrick's out today, but uh, he would normally be here to uh, do his great comedic <laughs> interjections. Uh, so hopefully we'll find we'll, I'll find him a moment to name call in his absence. <laughs> 
I'll find something. I don't know what. But he's uh, so much more clever than just name calling. Though. <laughs> no, no, I know he really is. Uh, and again, like in any comedian, you're trying to always capture the the fulcrum of pain and <laughs> and that and you use the comedy to release that pain. Right? That is the hope, at least. So Anthony Scaramucci, this guy, as you probably saw, new communications director in the White House. Seems to be just perfect for Donald Trump. He's quite the uh, um, uh, BS artist. Is that too mean? I don't know. He's you know, really good at BS. <laughs> so. Well, he, that's because he has no integrity. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> he, he's basically, uh, you know, a mercenary. He's yeah, mercenary. He, he works for whoever pays him. And that can go completely opposite uh, his past work or past rhetoric or, you know, uh, beliefs. And so that's, you know, th- those are the most dangerous people, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it's true. He, he scares you at first because you're like, this guy is going to be fiercely loyal, which is what Trump wants more than anything right now. The one thing clearly about the Donald is he's he, in a lack of loyalty, which he sees. He's trying to double down and demand it. And so he gave Scaramucci. And that's one of the reasons why Sean Spicer quit. Or resigned because he made it. That was his line in the sand of like, you know, you can't uh, uh, just. Anyway, they were they were at odds to say the least. Well, I thought that was Steve Bannon's line in the sand too, was Scaramucci, but he's I still there. So too. I guess I don't know what's going. You know, one thing we don't hear from is Stephen Steve Bannon. So I don't. Yeah, I really don't know. Silenced. He's been very silent uh, for whatever reason. The if you're looking at it from a just a generic, neutral, practical act aspect. Here's why it's bad for Donald Trump. If you're a fan of Donald Trump, here's why you should worry a little bit. Because politics is politics. And the less allies you have in the White House with the rest of the Republicans, somebody's got to talk to the rest of Republicans. And right now, the only person you really have left now is Ryan Priebus. Before it was Ryan Priebus, you had Sean Spicer, you had some others. You had a guy named Michael Short. Michael Short just got fired today or yesterday, last night, by Scaramucci. So they removed another person who can communicate with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. So Donald Trump is replacing the people who can communicate broadly in Washington with those who are absolutely willing to pledge their loyalty. And if you and, I, and Erica makes the best point because it's pledge the loyalty because here's a clip. Remember when Kellyanne Conway uh, was not on Team Trump and how she yes, would say he was she the was worst? she was for Cruz. Yeah, she was the and, and Donald Trump's the worst politician, the worst ever, ever, ever. You know, it's interesting because she is financially backed by the Mercer family. Okay. And the Mercer family was backing Ted Cruz. Right. And when he started to, you know, plummet, um, the daughter of the Mercers, her whole team was Kellyanne Conway, Steve Bannon, and and basically, so again, uh, you know, they switched. Wow. They went over to Team Trump. But yes, I, I do remember that. So apparently Scaramucci has similar situations. This is from CNBC a few years, well, actually back in 2015, right? That's another hack politician. You call Donald Trump, Trump a hack? He's a hack politician. Uh, a it's plant. anti-American. It's very, very divisive. You think Donald's a plant? And I'll tell you who he's going to be president of. You can tell Donald I said this. The Queens County Bullies Association. Bring it. Right, so you're, why, you're, is he, you're, why is he you're, resonating? You're an inherited why is he money dude from Queens County. Bring it, Donald. Now, it's funny because... He was bashing. That's just one of many bashings. He had to delete a whole bunch of Twitter tweets that he wrote that were in I'm that sure were bashing Donald Trump. And my, I can hear the voices of some of the folks I know who really love Donald Trump. And one of the reasons they love Donald Trump 
for whatever reason, and I don't want to put these folks into a psychological box, but I've observed a couple things where they really enjoy and savor revenge. And because uh, there's, there's an old expression that you, you people like to get rich to have fu money, right? And some people like to get rich so that they can have freedom or so they can help people. They can be. And I always say money doesn't change you; it just exaggerates you, right? Right? And you've seen it. You hang around a lot of people, obviously, yourself included. Neighborhood full of money, and it's fascinating to watch how it doesn't change anything in terms of people are still just as crazy or just as nice or just as not. It it it, it doesn't. It enhances whatever flaws are there, right? And I think also, in fairness, can enhance whatever, um, you know, blessings were there. Right, right. It definitely exaggerates. Like, I, was, I always think of, like, Sandra Bullock, who was somebody that the more famous she got, the more she gave away. You know, mm-hmm. she was always being very generous that and she way. She was probably like that, you know, before. She was before that. That's, right. that's, that, that. Certainly in interviews, friends would talk about how she was always that Just way. Just giving more. Yeah. And so... I think there's a certain people who say, look at this and say, yeah, of course Scaramucci changes because, you know, it's that revenge thing of like, yeah, because the big dog won. And, and so they, they personify, they look at Donald Trump and say, I want to be like that, where I become so rich or so powerful or sort of the leader of the free world so that even people who said I sucked have to beg forgiveness, pretend and say they like me now. And I give you a little bit of advice. Those are not the friends you want. You want folks that love you because they're inspired by who you are and they're inspired by, you know, and of course I hear mother saying right now, well, I'm inspired by Donald Trump. Well, okay. But (laughs) well, and it's like, you know, love and loyalty. (laughs) They don't necessarily, it depends on how you define loyalty. I mean, this is why you see a lot of these young superstars when, when they hit stardom at a young age and they grow up, you know, to be adults and then they're just uh, you know acting like a fool rude uh, wasteful with their money it's because everyone around them was quote unquote loyal and no one took the time to love them enough to pull them aside and say hey listen little girl you're acting like a brat yeah and it needs to stop yeah it's not helping you it's not helping you. <laughs> but instead, because everybody's on their payroll yeah. or on their power roll, in the case of, you know, I guess politics, you're either on the payroll, the power roll, or both, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a true friend pulls you aside and says, you're off. Yeah. Take another look. Step yeah. back. Yeah. And nobody, anybody who does that, it seems, with Donald Trump is labeled, you know, disloyal. Yeah, and we're going to get more into that because he wouldn't spoke to the Boy Scouts and that was uh, untalked about loyalty. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, other reasons why Scaramucci is perfect oh. for Donald Trump is because he is a Wall Street financier, which yeah. continues the trend of not draining the swamp. No, doubling down, S- thickening it I up. Mean, remember, do you, do you remember the campaign? I'm going to drain the swamp. It is the richest cabinet in the history of America. You know, he so, said he would get rid of all the Wall Street people in Washington. Oh my gosh. There's more Wall Street people in Washington than has ever been ever. as a result of Donald so Trump. So Scaramucci is a Wall Street uh, Washington person now. Uh, yeah. Um, but interesting, but going back to the point of, you know, he's just a hired gun. Yeah. And as long as, I guess, the paycheck... Willing hired gun, but yeah. Or the power or whatever he's getting yeah. is there for him. Because in the past, he supported gun control. Yeah. He supported the end of the death penalty. He was pro-choice. Yep, pro-choice. I uh, actually believed and worked to mitigate climate change. Yep, believed in climate change. How dare so, he? Yeah, 
Um, and, no, yeah, and, and just like Donald Trump, Trump is anti-American, like you just pointed out. So yeah. that that is. Um, there's your guy. There's your guy. Zero integrity. There's your guy. So, and there was another moment that's going around the internet, which is fun from 2010 when President Obama was doing a town hall and Scott Mucci, who was, uh, they call him the Mooch too, which cracks me up, a hedge fund manager named Mooch. It's like you trust your money with a guy named Bernie Madoff. He's going to, he made off with your money. He burned you. Right. It's a funny that this he came guy in, is going to Mooch off of you. I'm not, you know, I don't want to condemn gonna, him, but. Take the money for seniors and the poor from Medicaid and mooch it right away from them because the truth is the rich people do not have enough money and they need that Medicaid money and he's going to mooch it right over to there. Yeah, I love this uh, Facebook thing that's going around is how Americans can be upset with a uh, hundred some odd million Americans who are uh, in poor poverty and trying to and taking advantage of health care or whatever, but they're not upset about 400 greedy Americans who are amassing more wealth than, than the rest of the world. You know, it's like you got to get your priorities right, I think, in that sense. And so Scaramucci uh, was sitting down with was got into the town hall because he was working with CNBC at that time as a hedge fund manager. And he also went to school with uh, President Obama. He was one of the at Harvard. So Harvard Law. And so there was this moment that uh, there's a full five minute clip, but uh, we edited it down to just a, a little one here. You're going to dig it. I, I also went to law school with you with uh, Brian Mathis. It's great uh, to back see you in the day. Um, you, you, you've done very well. <laughs> Always complimentary, Obama. Good guy. That's great. And the question I have, sir, and this is something I really, you know, a lot of my friends are thinking about. Listen, I represent the Wall Street community. We have felt like a pinata. Maybe you don't feel like you're whacking us with a stick, but we certainly feel like we've been whacked with a stick. When I hear folks who say that somehow we're being too tough on Wall Street, but after a huge crisis, the top 25 hedge fund managers took home a billion dollars in income that year. Yeah. A billion. If you're making a billion dollars a year, after a very bad financial crisis where 8 million people lost their jobs and small businesses can't get loans, then uh, I think that you shouldn't be feeling put upon. The notion that somehow (laughs) me saying maybe you should be taxed more like your secretary when you're pulling home a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars a year, I don't think is me being extremist or being anti-business. That's the confusion he gets into. I just want to say I, I have my fair share of criticism of Obama, sure. but that clip right. makes me almost tear up. You are tearing up. I think truth is my seems to be my big thing, yeah. like speaking the truth, and that that was such a beautiful moment. Yeah. of truth and the nerve of Scaramucci who is I believe he I mean he's one of the wealthier yeah. ones on he's Wall a hedge Street fund manager. He's obviously doing no, well. but one of the top ones yeah, yeah. to play the victim card yeah. which is what I have witnessed the Republican Party doing as they represent the 400 families that gets that Medicaid money that you were just talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody calling them out. Yeah. Well, the thing on is, playing the victim. It's like, stop yeah. that. 
Yeah. If you are taking home a billion dollars a year, maybe you should be taxed at the same rate as your secretary. Well, this is why you know you were complimenting Obama and why I mean obviously I have an unabashed love for uh, Obama. It's almost uncomfortable, but he's uh, this is why because even what you said and I'm not taking away from the words you said. He didn't even say to him, you know, you're you're acting like a victim. Come on. He just stays completely neutral and says, well, the idea that you guys made a bunch of money and we're asking you to pay the same tax rate as your secretary, I don't see where that's unfair. you know. And just make it a neutral argument about the circumstances rather than uh, identifying that. that like, call, oh, come on. I know. Yeah, that's what I would have done. Right? Give oh, come me a on. break. Come on. How much money? Because you're going to attack them. You said, how much money did you make last year? You're complaining? You know how many jobs? You, know, you could have just ranted. But instead he says, well, here's what you're saying. Here's what the rest of the country is saying. You know, let's let that be the decision. So it's a powerful time to be alive because we're getting quite a contrast. And uh, to that contrast, coming up, a, a prominent politician, as promised, has named Donald Trump the most presidential president ever. That as well as the uh, discussion of what a Kobayashi Maru is. I'm going to explain it to Erica and how that relates to our health care bill as we return to Jeff's world. This is Jeff's World, the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I am Jeff Stein with Eric Ferriston. Jeff Hendricks out uh, getting cancer treatments and such. So, you know, what a slacker. And um, we are talking about someone who has decided to call a prominent politician. It's called Donald Trump the most presidential president ever. I, I think I mean, I'll, just, I'll just play the clip, Eric. I think you're going to appreciate this. All right. Sometimes they say he doesn't act presidential. Talking about himself. And I say, hey, look, great schools, smart guy. It's so easy to act presidential, but that's not going to get it done. In fact, I said, it's much easier, by the way, to act presidential than what we're doing here tonight. Believe me. And I said... And I said, with the exception of the late, great Abraham Lincoln, I can be more presidential than any president that's ever held this office. That I can tell you. I'm sorry I deceived you all. Yes, the prominent politician who said that Donald Trump is the most presidential is Donald Trump. Wow. I mean, the, the punditry had so much fun with that clip. That was in Ohio, in Youngstown, Ohio. He had to go back and do a rally because he loves his crowds. He's not pushing anything. Because I'll tell you, oh, because obviously my right-wing friends are like, Obama does rallies and all of them did rallies. Yes, but they had a specific thing they were pushing for. Well, Obama, he's pushing hate. He's just pushing him. Greed. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I hear you say that. And, of course, that is the some result of what he's pushing, but to, not to his defense, but to the truth of it. He doesn't know the difference. He's just pushing him. He just wants to be loved. Well. He doesn't care how it happens. He was a Democrat in 2009, up until 2009. He was for all of the things that, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people in this room would have agreed with. And then. I do see your point cause, because in that in that speech, you know, he again, lied about immigrants painting graphic situations that the immigrants are coming over here and taking knives and slashing. And I mean, but that's the whole ultra 
extremist anti-immigrant faction, which is Steve Bannon, Jeff Sessions. Right. Um, you know, yeah, these folks really do believe it. <laughs> well, and and manipulating, exaggerating and outright lying, which then Trump is the mouthpiece for that, because that speaks to a base of people that you're right. He wants to be right. He wants to be loved. He wants to be impressive. He wants to be a winner. He wants to be the king. Yeah. It's the, and the same thing is applying right now with this healthcare debate. Again, normally you'd say, oh, a president goes out and rallies the troops. Yes. If he was fighting for healthcare for replace and repeal, whatever repeal and replace, then he would go out there and he would sell the merits, which is what every previous president would have done if they wanted something to move is they sell the merits and and respond to critics. Mm-hmm. But he's not, obviously. He's just just selling himself. I know. And, and, he, and he, himself, he's like, I am the greatest. I am the best. I mean, these are things if, if my nine-year-old, if I saw him on yeah. the playground <laughs> saying he was yeah. the greatest, he was the best, yeah. I would say, let me talk to you about being a braggart yeah because that's not acceptable and and why would you have to tell everybody you're good at something and it's only because you're not sure that you are because if you are sure you're good at it you don't tell anybody right you know michael phelps doesn't run around with his gold medal saying i can swim faster than you (laughs) challenging people to jump in the pool and then if somebody else gets in the pool he's not yelling at him saying you know i'm a faster swimmer swimmer it's we know (laughs) we know because we've seen him compete and win (laughs) and so you know the the thing with trump is again he's all he wants to do is is to have the love and adoration of the crowd so he gets back out in front of the, the crowds again but the thing with him is of course he always has to do what the crowd wants in order to satisfy who he is which is to be loved and to be admired he has to do what they want in a sense too or find the crowd in this case, like you described, Steve Bannon and others, he found that crowd, and that crowd loves this. And every time he says immigrant stuff, he gets a reaction from that crowd. So that feels great. That's why even my Trump supporter friends will say, well, he's not really racist. I, I don't know if he is or is not racist because I can't see into his heart. But he's so well, narcissistic. He's promoting. Yeah, he's so narcissistic. And he and because he got a reaction out of being racist, he's okay, saying racist things, not being racist, saying racist things. He goes ahead and says racist things. Does that make him a racist or not in his heart? I don't know. But he's saying he's saying things that are mean and hateful and greedy and what have you. So, you know, it, 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 no matter what his reasoning is, but because... Well, at that point, the heart doesn't matter because if you're out there and you are promoting uh, hurt toward anyone, even if you don't really believe it in your heart, it doesn't matter because your actions are doing the damage. It's just like, you know, like, let's say a a senator championed a single payer, maybe not for the right reasons. The end result was he was doing good work. So kind of like, yeah. who cares? Right. But this is, you know, you're out there and you're, you're, you're stoking fires. You're contributing to uh, violence, hatred. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of doesn't matter yeah. what he's thinking in his head, in my opinion. I know that's actually kind of a good analogy. It, it doesn't make it like, even if somebody could say like, well, he doesn't really believe that. Well, you're doing harm by preaching it. Yeah. Whether you believe it or not. 
Yeah, even if you're doing it because you so want to warm matter. your heart of, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I started the fire in the forest because I wanted because I was cold and I wanted to warm myself up. Well, you still started a fire in the forest, dude. And he started a fire to, I mean, he does all this because he wants to feel better about his winningness. But the problem with that analogy you. is if somebody's <laughs> cold in the forest and wants to warm up and they start a fire and it gets out of control beyond their intention, this is a person who goes into the forest Every keeps day lighting fires. And, st- and lights fires. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. So uh, the Kobayashi Maru part of it. Uh, let me explain what the Kobayashi Maru is for those who don't watch Star Trek or know it, because this goes back to the original Star Trek as well as that was done again, of course, when they rebooted it with the uh, uh, the modern version. Uh, the Kobayashi Maru is a made up word. I don't think it has any actual. Uh, for someone out there who knows Japanese and says it actually has a meaning, I'm not aware of it. I think it's just supposed to be a name. But it, the idea of it, for, uh, for those who don't know, is that Captain Kirk, when he was coming up through the academy, they do a exercise for new leaders, for new officers called the Kobayashi Maru, which is the impossible solution. You're put into the, you know, the simulator on the bridge and you have to test to see how you will respond when there is no win. There's no way out. It's a doomed situation. And so the Kobayashi Maru term has been used for a no-win situation. Now, as a side note, Captain Kirk in the both... The, you know, he in the, totally won in this he situation. He won it because he changed the programming. He cheated it. Right. And that became the big question. Should he graduate from the academy because he's he cheated by Chris it? Pine now, so All right, he who's can so damn cute and cute. Dude, his big baby blues, he can <laughs> cheat anything. He's so sexy. But uh, so sexy. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I almost have a man crush on this guy. He's pretty rad. Uh, a lot of personality. He's the, the son of uh, Robert Pine, if you may recall, for those of you, a little fun fact, um, who was that amiable, nice uh, sergeant in chips, the CHP. Kind of, I think he was the head sergeant, maybe even as a lieutenant. In the but TV, in the show TV Chips? show with Eric Estrada, and you know, back nice. in the day, he was the dad. He was the cool. fatherly, patriarchal, nice, amiable. You know, so anyways, and then his son obviously is now uh, doing quite well. I'm sure Dad is ext- incredibly pleased. So, uh, how that applies because. Trump, Donald Trump, creates a Kobayashi Maru for the Republicans when it comes to health care. And it has to do with this narcissism. Come up, we will talk about that. This is Jeff's World. I'll meet you in the dark. You this is Jeff's World, the place where we look at this great experiment called America, America, and hopefully leave it better than we found it. Much like a Boy Scout. Uh, I'm Jeff Stein, along with Eric Ferris and Jeff Hendricks out on uh, treatments. So the health care. <laughs> oh, man. You can't call it health care, Bill. <laughs> no, I can't. It's You can't call it anything. As it turns out, you can't even call it anything. It's, yes, you can call it a wealth care bill. You could call it a wealth because that is one thing that's been consistent in all the drafts is a reduction of taxes on the highest earners in America. Although some have also had a slight reduction for middle class folks. One as much as 400 a year. Pretty amazing. $400, not 400000 or $400. So, yes, it is definitely a wealth care bill. Now, when they, uh, as you may recall, you may have heard John McCain after tumor and all, globioblastoma came, uh, which is, by the way, a brain cancer that uh, not many people survived from. In fact, it took, um, it didn't take, but it ended, uh, J- Ted Kennedy died mm-hmm. of that, as well as mm-hmm. Bo Biden, as you may recall, the son of Joe Biden. Both of them had that same form of brain cancer. And now John McCain is facing it, but he went back from his the one surgery and he'll start treatment soon. And the really big upside is what an outpouring of humanity that people demonstrated, of course, needless to say, on all sides of political spectrums, 
to wish him well and to personalize. And I love, as a consciousness standpoint, I find that isn't that so beautifully poetic that here we are debating healthcare and it's happening to them too. Them meaning people who are going to be the decision makers of, of folks' fate. And if that doesn't say that this is that we're all in it, uh, <laughs> you know. You know, Ty Kennedy, he was one of the first Democrats, I think, to seriously put forth a health care for all bill. And yeah. he, you know, he became more um, energized about that when he himself was sick. Yeah. I yeah. noticed that Jeff Hendrick, as he is battling yeah. cancer, um, you know, there is this part of him that wants no one to go through this, or if yeah. they do go through this, to go through it with so much more ease and grace and than, than he, you know, was able to, wanting to make it, wanting to steer people away from the herd and, and make it better for people. And you see that with Ted Kennedy. And yet you see, you know, I know that we have a little bit of a difference of opinion as, as to what this means, but, you know, these, all of the, Senator John McCain, all of these members of Congress have the health care that they are telling the people is bad for them, yeah. but they have it for themselves. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I'm just going to take one minute to pivot because it's what I do sure. because it comes back to, um, you know, healthcare for everyone. Um, but according to investigative reporter uh, David K. Johnson, mm -hmm. he said, if we had in America the French or German universal healthcare systems where everyone is covered, it would save an amount of money equal to all the income taxes paid by everyone who makes less than $500,000 a year in America. Wow. Actually, um, he says about 550000 That's over 99% of the American public. So I want you guys to hear... What? Yeah, the money. When Universal you look at the money. Healthcare. So this is there are there are different types of people. There are people who want to do uh, the right thing because they care about people. Yeah. There are people who are all about um, just making things more efficient. Universal healthcare makes healthcare yes. more efficient. Yes. There are people who are all about finances. Universal healthcare ends up it yeah. may cost in the beginning to you know get some things set up and yeah situated. it's always a transition although we do have medicare in place so it's not that much and no. it's not that much of a transition but in the end saves this country i mean yeah billions um, of dollars yeah. and think about if you want to spend that money on on uh, G you know GE to make more weapons of mass destruction. There's your budget for right, it. right. If you want it for you know uh, anything education, yeah. there's your money for it. If you want to take that savings and give it to the top four hundred richest families, then single payer is the way to go, baby. Yeah, because there will be more money to give to them. Than, than the $33 billion you're going to take from M Medicaid to give to them. Yeah. So there's so, financially it makes sense. Efficiency, it makes sense. From, you know, where I'm coming from and many people are coming, 
as from one human being to another human being, it makes sense and yeah. in, in being of service. So anyway, back to you. I love it. Uh, no, that's perfect because then, and the other thing you point out, which is so beautiful, is you people don't truly understand the disparity in our country of income. You know, obviously Bernie ran around the country and even Trump did it before he went completely their direction after he was elected, um, was talking about this concentration of wealth. And you just illustrated that point that all the money saved is more than all the lower taxpayers can buy. And, 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 the, and the tax breaks or the tax increases on rich folks that paid for Medicaid in this Obamacare and the Obamacare expansion of Medicaid was a drop in the bucket percentage-wise, percentage-wise for them. But it was billions because there's so much concentration of wealth that taking 1% or 2% off the top 400 income earners is billions and billions and billions of dollars. I doubt any one of them had to give up even one uh, you know, five star. You know, like, right? Was their meal. lifestyle even remotely compromised? Using that turn again, and and also just to add before yeah. before people take it this route, you know, people in France see doctors more quickly than in the U.S. They have better health status, yeah. and longevity is increasing in all the other modern countries of the world who have universal health care health care faster than America. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's every single category. Cost less, when you do it universally, cost less, better care. I mean, you just can't. You, it, it's, you know, I've obviously, we're probably speech, pre- preaching to the choir if you're listening to this show. Because <laughs> if you've listened to this show, you've heard us say this. But And if you want to talk about being number one. Yes! If you want Portu- about exceptionalism of America? If Portugal, whose median income is half that of America, can afford universal And their GDP is like a... Eighth of Americans, maybe a tenth. Yeah, where uh, patients are promptly examined and given yeah. access to doctor. How how can we not afford it? Yeah, and people, and and I know people like to cite oh, but they complain about this in Canada. They complain about that in England. Well, guess what? All things evolve. Do you complain about your cable company? Do you complain about your phone provider? Do you complain about your plumber? Do you complain Things evolve. Do you that complain? it takes 30 seconds for your microwave to heat exactly, up your dinner? Exactly. Yes, you do complain. <laughs> I've seen it in a Simpsons. <laughs> so it must be real. So, no, if it's but on yeah. Simpsons or Family Guy, it must be real. And so there's been a lot of unprecedented moments in this healthcare debate. And, and, and the, to take a second back to look at the broad view, which we like to do here, is that this is all moving. That's the big part of this. And and there's I've reading so many articles about how we got here and how why and universal health care is so opposed and so entrenched with insurance and this and that. And it is, it's a big problem, but there's no question that there's no other direction. Listen, it's a it's entrenched in a problem with the insurance companies because they will cease to exist. Before yeah. Nixon, we didn't have insurance companies in this capacity my my mom was a school teacher you just went and paid your doctor that's right she was married to a school teacher who taught art yeah and when they had their first child together on two school teacher salary which by the way they owned a home and two cars um, and took a vacation every year they went she went to the hospital she had the baby and they paid their hospital bill yeah yeah, and it became the, the medical industrial complex. So I know, and it's a big problem, but we're working on it. Is the point? Well, and it, it's I mean, it's a problem because these insurance companies that make billions of dollars for doing nothing but denying <laughs> healthcare—that's the way they make their money. 
it's by take it's insurance. They take in a pool of money, and by denying care is where they profit. Right. And yes, those jobs, the those will go away. So where has it been going? Uh, here's a few things. First of all, an unpressed, almost unprecedented thing happened in the Senate when they did when John McCain did return, and they voted. 50 to 50, and they had to have Mike Pence come in and break the tie because Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins said, "Uh -uh, ain't going to do it, ain't going to throw these folks under the bus. Now, again, it was just a procedural move forward, but there erupted, and I'll give you a little taste of the sound in the background. It's kill the bill, don't kill us. Sergeant Arms will restore order in the chamber. Kill the bill, don't kill us. Sergeant Arms will restore order in the chamber, please. And this went on for a while, as you can tell. It even turned into... Then shame. That's from Game of Thrones. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we got to be topical with your uh, with your chance. But um, that is unusual. I mean, people, oh, people protest all the time. No, not in the Senate chambers to erupt like that. That's actually uh, pretty unprecedented. And, of course, they were all arrested. A total of about 90 people were arrested. And we predicted it well on this show. Uh, IVs in wheelchairs. So They're at the same people. time, it looks like there were other protests going on. Um ones uh, from a group activists with disabilities. Yes. And they were saying that they would rather go to jail than die without Medicaid. And I just want to say, again, this stuff, so I'm out here doing what I can do uh, to pass, you know, expanded and improved Medicare for all. Now that's limited to California because that's that's where we have power. But my desire is that you know if we get it passed here in California, then it makes it easier to get passed everywhere else. And I've been to rallies and I've been to protests, but I don't know that I would have the courage to go into the Senate chambers knowing that, you know, it would probably get arrested. You will get arrested if you speak out in the right. chambers like I don't that. know that, you know, with these... Now, these are activists who have disabilities, yeah. and they're... You should see the way that they're they're not being gently handled by the police that don't have disabilities. They're, it's it's pretty rough if you look at the video. Which is an un, un, unfair burden on the Capitol Police to have to arrest people with IVs and wheelchairs. Well, these were, these were at... Um, these were at senators' offices. Oh, different. District yeah. Some offices. of it's capital police, some of it's D.C. police. And um, hmm. these are in all over the state. Okay. And so, oh, gotcha. Yeah. And so, but I, I'm just saying, like, oh, these people that are saying that they would rather go to jail than die without Medicaid, you know, this is back in the day, which... Uh, you know, Republicans may not know this, but the reason why you have an eight hour workday, the reason why we celebrate Labor Day is it's because of activists yeah. who rallied and worked for on different there's you know there's all kinds of ways to rally and a lot of times it takes the combination it takes the combination of the activists on the outside and the people working on the inside and outside right. inside combination do you know that people in the labor movement in Chicago they lost their lives yeah no they used they to kill them back died then died yeah for an 8 
hour work week. Yeah. And I guarantee you here in America, people complain. I mean, work day. Com- work, yeah. eight, sorry, I'm eight sorry. hour work day. People complain about an eight hour work day. Going back to your thing. Of course, people complain in Canada because everybody gets used to it. People, d- you wouldn't have an eight hour work day if it weren't for those activists who lost their lives. Now, I don't want any activists to lose their lives, but I'm just saying these these yeah. activists who are going to jail, they are doing the hard work to get to the point where everyone has health care. Yeah. And I really commend their courage. Yeah. And it's, if you don't get to watch much of the cable news like I do, I love to jump around and see all this stuff. The activism is is incredible, first of all. Stuff like I've never seen before. And again, uh, there are the activists who you would, you know, the, the opponents would argue are professional activists. But no, I'm so surprised at the number of average Joes and Janes and Javier's and whatever and mods are going out there and because they don't have a choice. Like you just said, I, I could either die or be arrested. And that's kind of what I'm faced with. So coming up, uh, McCain gave that speech when he returned and the words were really powerful. And then the debate of whether or not those words were going to be followed or were hollow, that followed too. And that's also what's important. So we're going to look at that. This is Jeff's world. I don't want to know, no, 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 who's taking you home, oh, oh. But they are more partisan, more tribal, more of the time than at any time that I can remember. Our deliberations can still be important and useful. But I think we'd all agree they haven't been overburdened by greatness lately. (laughs) And right now, they aren't producing much for the American people. Both sides have let this happen. Let's leave the history of who shot first to the historians. I suspect they'll find we all conspired in our decline, either by deliberate actions or neglect. We've all played some role in it. Certainly I have. Sometimes I've let my passion rule my reason. Sometimes I made it harder to find common ground because of something harsh I said to a colleague. Sometimes I wanted to win more for the sake of winning than to achieve a contested policy. That was John McCain. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris, and this is Jeff's World. And isn't that interesting, right? And and I, and I don't know uh, your take on it. I'll get yours too, Erica. But of course, I went to a little bit of sunshine and said, okay, it's nice to hear someone actually personify. We always teach this when we do seminars, Erica and I. She's so good at this, teaching you, you know, make I statements, mm-hmm. own your own place in it. And you made an I statement. I Sometimes I was more concerned about winning than I was about pushing a policy forward. You know, and I thought that was probably the, one of the most introspective things I've heard uh, in, in the Senate, for a, <laughs> at least certainly from the Republican side for a while. Uh, Democrats have had lots of introspect because they're sitting on the back bench, <laughs> unable to legislate, but uh, which as often happens when you lose the majority. But yeah, so what are your thoughts off of that? Off the- yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> the, the speech is, is a nice speech and and the introspection introspection sounds good great but you know with it's kind of like uh show me don't tell me yeah you know to make a speech like that and then vote the way that he did and not stand with susan collins yeah and and murkowski stand with murkowski um it does ring hollow yeah and and i have to tell you you know him standing there with his 
scarred face from yeah. just having a life-saving procedure yeah. um, to then vote to deny yeah. health care for, you know, all of these these people. With it's scars just, of their own. Yeah, it's, you know, that's going to be his legacy. It, it's interesting because you're right. He made this speech in the hope of like it was a legacy making speech. I'm sure it wasn't lost on him. It may not be. He may have limited speeches left. You know? If he would have made the speech and voted against it, yeah, you'd have something there. And you, but, s- you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's let me give me a little bit more of him because uh, he went on and there's anyway. Here you go. I hope we can again rely on humility, on our need to cooperate on our dependence on each other, to learn how to trust each other again, and by so doing better, serve the people who elected us. Stop listening to the bombastic loudmouths on the radio and television and the Internet. To hell with them. Sure. Okay. They don't want anything done for the public good. Our incapacity is their livelihood. (laughs) That's a good point. Let's trust each other. Let's return to regular order. We've been spinning our wheels on too many important issues because we keep trying to find a way to win without help from across the aisle. That's an approach that's been employed by both sides, mandating legislation from the top down without any support from the other side, with all the parliamentary maneuvers that requires. We're getting nothing done, my friends. We're getting nothing done. I give him credit for calling out that. For sure. They are getting nothing done. <laughs> they are, you know, you have Senate parliamentarians telling the Republican Party, basically, this is not according to procedure. This is, you know, pretty much out of order. And you have the Republicans coming back and saying, yeah, so what? We're doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, so th- there is no, you know, order happening. And at the, the I think... The interesting thing is they're still they're still getting nothing done as they're yeah. bullying their way through this. So the argument became and um, well, let's see one more and I'll get to the argument. Because the one thing that he contradicted himself on, I hate to notice, is that he's you remember in that first clip, he says, we don't we need to stop worrying about who, who cares who shot first. History will decide that he says who shot first. But then on that, and then there's another clip I'm not going to play, but he went off about how the Democrats did it. And so it was like, you said you weren't going to talk about who shot first, but then you went on a diatribe about the Democrats. So it's like, ah, come on, man. But he did do it to exhort his fellow Republicans to not do what the Democrats did. In fact, maybe this is the uh, the clip where he does that. I'm not sure. Hold on. The administration and oh, congressional de- Democrats shouldn't have forced through Congress without any opposition support a social and economic change as massive as Obamacare. And we shouldn't do the same with ours. Why don't we try the old way of legislating in the Senate? The way our rules and customs encourage us to act. If this process ends in failure, which seems likely, then let's return to regular order. So a couple of big things there. Go ahead. Well, it's also not exactly accurate. You're looking at it. Mitch McConnell is having closed hearings, which yeah. we, we thought were 12, but turns out, I guess, were three because half of the 12 didn't show up. Right. And then um, 
but the Democrats did have hearings and yeah. did in, invite in. Thank you. Because he says he said in the quote, with they passed it without opposition support. And he's right in the sense that there wasn't any Republican votes, but there were 140 Republican amendments right. to the to the Obamacare. So it got support in the sense that Republicans were allowed to put in AKA 140 adjustments. Yeah. So it isn't totally, you know, anyway. What I have to give you a compliment that mm. I love. Um, you know, I appreciate you pointing out the hypocrisy of John McCain, you know, contradicting himself in that very speech. And the reason why I appreciate that coming from you yeah. is because we always have like we have these conversations before and after the show about truth. And and you are always looking for the better angels. And I, I love that. And I feel like and I'm always you know, looking for the truth. <laughs> and I know that's hard for you to point that out. Like, <laughs> anyway, I, I'm trying to give you a compliment, but it's not really coming out. No, right. that's great. You know, and it's, thank you. No, it's, 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 maybe it's, it's not a compliment, but I, I appreciate you <laughs> acknowledging the hypocrisy. Yes, yes. Thank you. And he was being hypocritical. And I'm hoping it's it, it's he the larger and broader point of his words go through. And here's where I will give him a little bit of room. Because people say, wait a second, he immediately like you did, he immediately voted to to do this. Well, in Senate rules, and I would give this concession, I've given it to Democrats, I've given it to Republicans in the past. And you're just moving things along procedurally, it it, it it it's not a vote. This was not an actual vote for that bill. And they all knew it wasn't a vote for the bill. It was not in any way even written. It was just a vote to proceed. And actually is kind of a good thing because it was a vote to proceed in a form that would actually let the Democrats participate a little bit. But where uh, McCain just threw Donald Trump under the bus is he's asking for regular order. And I don't mean Donald Trump specifically, but if you ask for or Mitch McConnell, if you ask for regular order, that means six months of debate. Mm-hmm. That means that the Democrats get to add amendments. That means mm-hmm. that you have to allow the Democrats to add amendments. And I don't know if he really wants that. I mean, he says he does, and I'm hoping his, he's a man of his word because then this would be debated just like the original Obamacare was, in which case the, the Democrats have made it very clear they are happy to improve upon. They've said that repeatedly, which is, I give credit. I know you guys want to give credit to the other people won't want to give My conservative friends won't give credit to the Democrats. But imagine if you were told every day that Obamacare was the worst thing that ever happened to America and it was something that you supported, mm-hmm. and you were told what you did was the worst thing that ever happened to America, and you were still willing to come to the table and say, you're right, it's not fixed, we need to improve it. That shows an incredible amount of character. It does. To be assaulted for what you did, and then to say, okay, yeah, it wasn't perfect, let's keep going. And that's what the Democrats have been saying and are saying. And they said it for seven years, but the Republicans, when they, you, people didn't follow us, except for geeks like Erica and I, when they tried to bring up changes to say, oh, we're going to fix Obamacare, the Republicans in Congress never allowed anything except total repeal to go forward. They never said, hey, let's beef up the market or, hey, let's strengthen the mandate or, hey, let's try to increase Medicaid or increase you know, responsibility. Nothing. Mm-hmm. They, all they would discuss was repeal. And so, you know, now it's the other side of the foot, shoes on their foot. And Democrats are saying, yeah, we'll, we're open to any idea as long as it means more un, more people are insured with better coverage and lower premiums. That's it. Seems reasonable. It does. But remember, <laughs> the, the first word that the Republicans put out there is repeal. Yeah. They never have ever said what they would replace it with except... This is their Kobayashi taking Maru. Taking out the, the money from Medicaid and transferring it to the wealthy. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there are some strategies going forward, not only for the Republicans, but for the Democrats. I want to talk about that. So coming up, we'll do that as well as I got to get a little of the funny side because, you know, with the healthcare debate, uh, the late night hosts are having a <laughs> great deal of fun with this. This is Jeff's World. First things first, I'm going to say all the words inside my head. I'm So the new GOP plan is to reinvent the national health care system by Thursday? <laughs> I admire their optimism. We haven't been able to do this in seven years. Let's try it in three days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, this isn't three real days. It's technically 20 hours of actual working time. 20 hours. That's all they have. And 20 hours is not a lot of time to build a new healthcare system. Hell, I can't even build an IKEA bookshelf in 20 hours. <laughs> and now, if, you, if you're really confused by what's happening... You're probably a Republican senator who has to vote on Thursday. So, so let me try and explain what you've done. And everyone else, you can pay attention if you want. You see, Republicans, you want to repeal and replace Obamacare. Now, you could have gone the normal way with the public committee hearings and proposals. Uh, both parties could have uh, read and debated. But you skipped that because you knew your ideas would die of exposure. Then you tried to write the bill in a 13-dude chamber of secrets. That also <laughs> failed. Yeah. So now your genius leader's new plan is to throw the entire national health care system out on the Senate floor, let everyone randomly spitball on what it should be, and then you hope that 51 of them agree by the end of the week. And no one knows how that's going to turn out. Nobody knows. That's right. Mitch McConnell was so hell-bent on getting this passed he forced a man who was just diagnosed with brain cancer to come to Washington to vote. McCain was probably like, what the hell, Mitch? Don't you know I could be dying? And McConnell was like, if we cared about people dying, we wouldn't be doing this bill. Now shut up and vote. That shut is up a, and vote. That's Trevor Noah uh, for The Daily Show. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris, and this is Jeff's World. And, uh, you know, it's so funny to still we get our best news from the comedians. And it's uh, so true and sad at the same time. It's true and sad. Same time. So with with McCain, you know, you know, I guess I'll go along with you giving him the benefit of the doubt that this was he voted for a process. And then, you know, he's hoping that that process is actually more of a democratic process um, with six months of debate and input from the other side. But. This next vote and how he votes uh-huh. will... That will say whether or not he's serious about it. That will. Yeah, and the thing is, is, I know what he's doing, too. I can sense his strategy, which is, these are my Republican friends, and I want to give my Republican friends in the Senate an opportunity to, invo- to evolve. And so if you give them that initial vote of, like, we'll vote to continue this debate, which includes repeal, Right. And in the hopes that you'll get something through. But they're just basically stuck. And McCain knows it's stuck. That's why he got so emotional when he said we've done nothing because his frustration couldn't help but be vocalized. He's feeling like, oh, my God, I may die here pretty soon. And I'm going to go out with a party that has control of the entire federal government and can't move anything. So having (laughs) been an elected delegate, I see how this whole friendship thing works. (laughs) And it's like your friend runs for this, your friend runs for that, right. you vote for your friend, you rally support your friend. I get it. It's really, I, I'm at the point where I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not going to make any friends in the Democratic <laughs> Party because it, it bites you later. Seri- you no, it seriously compromises your integrity. Huh. Having friends because you vote for certain people. 
like, for example, this last this election for chair of the California Democratic Party, I can't tell you how many people said they wanted to vote for Kimberly Ellis. But they had a relationship with right, Eric. They've right. been friends with him for a long time, which we would then counter. Well, is this a party of friends? Right. Or is this like a friends club? Right. Or is this a Democratic Party? Because what you're telling me is you believe that she would make a better chair, but you're not going to vote for what you think would be better. You're going to vote for your friend. Yeah. Okay. So that was our argument on that side. But putting myself on the side of a friend who's running. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. very difficult to not vote for your friend. So I, <laughs> I am now starting off like telling like, okay, like we may be friends, but don't think that means I'm going to like, vote for you because <laughs> if there's no, no promises on voting and policy because I might have another friend that is running against you and I'm going to have to make a decision so I'm just saying right now like don't count on me yeah. do not think I, I'm not giving anybody a loyal anything right. like we'll be friends like outside I mean because it's too I can't figure out how to have friendships and stay in integrity. And maybe there are more experienced people who absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, I even question, like, I don't know if I can keep coaching people, you know, in California because I, as a delegate, it's, I I feel like it's compromising. It hasn't yet, but I could see where it could. So well, you just you can have all of them, right? You, you just <laughs> uh, you just well, you just really illustrated the three pillars of why politics is hard, right? It's friends, friends influence, or relationships. You would say relationship influence, money influence, and policy. Those are the three things that you have to kind of decide which are more important with in any given time: your relationship, your money, or your and or and your you policy. know people like do you a favor? I mean, this is the way politics works too. Like you go and you're like, hey, look, I really need support for this bill, and somebody may not be totally in support of your bill and be like, all right, I'm going to give you support of this bill, but I've got this bill. Can I count on your support for that? And it's right. like deal making. Ah, how do you do all that? I don't know. Yeah. So where do we go from here on the healthcare thing? One little first, let's start with the president. We go to single pair. We do go to single pair. We will eventually. And you got Chuck Schumer talking about it too now. And uh, I've got. Obviously, Bernie and Sanders I just want to say public it. single payer. Yes, Medicare for all is the one that's being Medicare for all. That usually is the one that people can understand because, like, oh, Medicare that exists. I get that. Improved that's improved and expanded. Yeah, improved Medicare. And ex- for all, all those things are seem like a nice step because then people can can say, well, Medicare isn't perfect, but it has been working and it's still there and it does you know cover grandma or whoever your grandma is or if you are grandma. <laughs> you Don't know, you look at me that. when you're <laughs> saying grandma. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> Someday, um, <laughs> grandma to be a long, 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 long. long Time from, now. <laughs> time from now. So, first of all, from a political strategy standpoint, let me ask you this. What do you call this? I mean, if you're a Democrat, which you are, and you're trying to position this, one of the things I saw was they called it the, the Trump-McConnell-Ryan health care bill. But that sense like a lot. What do I you just call it? I just call it the wealth care bill. Wealth care bill. Yeah. I like the If ring. you're opposing it. Yeah, you call it the wealth care bill. That's pretty good. Hey, even if you're for it. If you're, I mean, as far as word positioning, that's pretty I, I just think that's the most truthful portrayal of what yeah. this bill does. Because it, it, and go ahead, like, I, I'm up for a debate, but there is nothing in what the Republicans posed no. that increases 
health care for anyone yeah, or, not a single one or improves it right. for anyone. Right. So it, it is not a health care. It is inaccurate to call it a health care bill. Yeah, because it only decreases the amount of people with health care. It and decreases value, you know? and it takes away quality. I've been kind of jokingly right, calling it, call it. No, I think uh, you, if you want to stick it to all, if you're a Democrat, you want to stick it to all of them. You call it because Trump Care was around there for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and they thought, oh well, if you stick it around his neck, then that'll be a thing. But uh, and Ryan Care or McConnell Care, but to me, the only thing that's really accurate, which isn't used as a pejorative or as a political football, it's the hot potato bill because there's been a lot of evidence from you know the, the insider Beltway publications of staffers and stuff saying that Mitch McConnell is just trying to get it back to the House. That's his primary strategy is to get it out of the Senate so that he won't get blamed for it. And of course, Paul Ryan squeaked through the 217 vote version just so he could get rid of get it out of the House, too. You know, they're all just trying to get away from it because they know they can't even get it through. I mean, what does that say about it? They're like, don't put my name on it. Now, the Democrats, to their uh, credit, they've been strategizing. What do you do when you're in the minority power? And uh, they've been effective with, like you mentioned, the parliamentarian. They've been kind of working the referees. There are things called the parliamentarians, parliamentarians in the House and Senate, which to dictate whether the bill you're doing is even legally able to be advanced. And so they've been stopping a lot of it just through that by saying, "Ah, uh, you can't. You need 60 votes for that one." You know, and that's not filibuster protected. That is a bill that changes the uh, structure, not just the budget, because. The reason they only need 50 votes for people that were a little inside baseball is that with just if it's just changing the movement of the money, you can do it with 50 votes. If you change the structure of the law, like a.k.a. Uh, defund Planned Parenthood or, or eliminate a program, then you have to get through the full Senate, the full Senate vote. And so they're trying to sneak it through in the first place, which means even John Boehner, former Speaker of the House, who was ran out on a rail because he couldn't corral these opposing views— he said it's going nowhere. He made this great declaration on this on the shows and said there's no way that the Republicans will, and he's Republican obviously, will ever get a bill through. And I think that's probably a fair assessment because it is the hot potato bill. So but what the Democrats plan, one of the things they've been talking about is if they go to regular order, which it sounds like they might do in the hopes of somehow saving their butts, well— if they're not willing to move the bill in a way that actually expands health care, they will, they will introduce hundreds of amendments. <laughs> they'll just keep introducing amendment after amendment after amendment, obviously to improve it, but they'll just keep improving it one amendment at a time and see if they can get anywhere. And of course, that will most likely just anger the Republicans because what seems to be clear about this Republican Party, or at least a majority of them in the, in the Congress, is they just don't want anything with any Democratic name on it at all. And they really do just want repeal. It's the only thing they really, really want is, is they want it gone. They want no government intervention. And if you want that, you'll never survive that. (laughs) But they want government intervention for tax subsidies for Walmart, ExxonMobil. (laughs) Yes. So, um, you know, so so they're going to get killed on this electorally. There's every sense of that. And but they will, uh, you know, but anyway, the Trump part is the other X factor. And this is where you get this kind of Kobayashi Maru situation, because he's a guy who, again, he lives by the crowd. Right. We know Trump lives by the crowd and he's a pure narcissist. He wants to be loved and amazed and be amazing. But that's the only tool in his box. And as the old expression is, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Right. And his only tool is self-aggrandizement is he's a great BS artist. He's a great salesman. He sells himself. And I don't think lying makes you a great salesman. Well, it does for one sale, right? And then the second sale, maybe the third sale, you'll fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. 
So, True. right? And it's yep. catching up. So you can lie for a few sales, which is what he's done, and he's just got new business partners. If you look at his business record, not only is it filled with bankruptcies and, and lawsuits, it shows that he never works with anybody more than once or twice. Because, and mafia money. And mafia money. And now money laundering, of course. We're finding out Russian money. So uh, we'll get to that and we get to the Russian part. But he has to love the crowd, right? But he refuses to learn or understand the health care bill or anything about it. In fact, he saw apparently a commercial on Fox News about how for $12 a month you could help uh, a poor child with health care. And so he went out and he was doing an interview and he was tweeting and he's saying, you know, what's health care? Like $12, $15 a month? You thought that's how much health care costs when they asked him. And it's like He's completely ignorant. He knows completely nothing about health care. ignorant of, of this process. Um, and the reason he's ignorant is because of his one tool. There's no reason for him to learn policy. That's never been necessary for him. All he's ever had to learn how to do is sell himself and sell to everybody. It's going to be great. And so he's just running around saying it's going to be great. And then he's yelling at senators for not passing it. And, te- and, and it's like, but then, but the, but the, but as he lives and dies by the crowd, when he saw the crowds, the first time around, you know, protesting this bill, he said, this is a mean-spirited bill. Right. Nothing has been made, nothing more has been given to the people in this second round. It's the same right. crap. You just got the Kobayashi Maru part. And he, and now he's, I mean, he's, and I don't understand the people in Youngstown or, or yeah, Ohio, who, yeah. and I don't just mean to pick on Youngstown, sure. Ohio, but that, that's just because that where he was with yeah. the crowd that cheer him on. And why don't they ask the questions when he says, um, I'm going to give you something better? How about, okay, great. What does that look like? Yeah, nobody asks him that question, if they, or he just doesn't stick around what, for the. Uh, what, what is that about? And then, because I've seen do him. They, do, what, they really believe that this is. Better? I, I don't yeah. get it. They decided to believe. I mean, these are obviously the diehard faithful who aren't concerned about what it actually is. They just want a winner, right? And so, well, like, let, I want to, I want to like let some of these people know what what the winner is that they have in Trump. Okay, this is a true story. So again, I was oh, watching. Yeah, you were talking about this this, this interview with um, investigative dur- journalist David K. Johnson, and he's you know worked a lot on healthcare and um, has known Trump for a long time. Okay. Um, there were five Trump children, and one was Fred Trump Jr. Okay. Fred Trump Jr. died, so that's Donald's brother. Okay. He died before their father died. Okay. And let me back up. When you're as wealthy as the Trumps were and are, you have you have like it's like the Trump Organization, and it pays. For everybody in the family's health care, right? Right, right? It's kind of run like a business because you have all yep. of this wealth and it's an organization. Pays for everybody's health care. Anyway, uh, his brother died before his dad died. But when his dad died and they read the will, Fred Trump had cut out of the will all of Fred Trump Jr.'s family. Oh, so wow. his wife and you know Jeez. all of that stuff. They had, she had recently had a young baby. So this is Donald Trump's nephew. And it says a couple of days after Fred Trump's funeral. So when, so they were upset about being cut out of the will. So they sued the Trump organization, which is what wealthy people do (laughs) when they're upset. Right. And a couple of days after Fred Trump's funeral, 
this baby um, developed very severe health problems that have continued throughout his life. And Donald Trump immediately cut off his nephew's health care. And when he was asked about this by Heidi Evans of the New York Daily News, he this is according to David K. Johnson, he made no apologies and said, well, what else could I do? I don't like people who sue my father's estate. So, so he did for retaliation. This is a, this is, so the winner that they're backing is so cold that he cut off health care for his own family nephew. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, that's who their hero is. And if you can't see that in every dealing, including what we're going to come up here to with Jeff Sessions, uh, who was the first most loyal person to Donald Trump when he was running for president officially. Jeff Sessions was, without question, the first and most loyal. He was, absolutely. He was the first senator. And most loyal. To back Donald Trump. Yeah. What's interesting about this whole, as Donald Trump is uh, humiliating and berating Sessions publicly, um, apparently the base, the Donald Trump base... This is like their mom and dad fighting. Cool. We're going to talk about that. All that's right. that's the meat of you just get a great teaser there. And I do want to say on the one last thing about this about the healthcare and Donald Trump. Remember, it's to him, it's only a win if the nation thinks it's a win, which is why he turned around and said that healthcare is mean once cuz he didn't understand it. Like we've very clearly explained here. And so when they when the polls showed it was only approved by 14 to 17% of people, he immediately said it was mean. So there's your conundrum. There's your Kobayashi Maru because on the one hand, he will only support it a win if the nation thinks it's a win, which means there's no need for him to understand it. He doesn't need to understand the healthcare. He just needs to know whether or not it's a winner with the people and that way he can just stick to, stick to his strong talent, which is just feeling the crowd. And that's all he'll well, ever know how to do. Well, then that's incumbent on then Fox News actually reporting the truth. Yeah. Because that's where he thinks the nation is. Yeah. Well, yes and no. he sees that. He thinks it is, but he knows it isn't, too. And so he's definitely in that duality. So coming up, Jeff Sessions' family feud within the Republican Party. And we'll get our merit badge in political discourse here on Jeff's World. Step one, you say we need to talk. This is Jeff's World, the home of truth, justice, sarcasm, laughs, and epiphanies, all while looking at the American way of life. I'm Jeff Stein. Erica Ferriston's here, too. Jeff Hendrick is out for the day. But uh, we are talking about the Boy Scout Jamboree, which had uh, President Donald Trump speaking at it, which is not common. Uh, the Boy Scout Jamboree is something that happens every year, and uh, it's not usually attended by presidents. However, uh, Obama was a Boy Scout. George W. Bush was a Boy Scout. George Herbert Walker Bush was a Boy Scout. Bill Clinton. Almost every, most presidents have been a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout in some form. Oh my gosh, I got to sign my boys up. Right? Not Donald <laughs> Trump though. Nah, he's never been a Boy Scout. But <laughs> he gave a speech, if you call it that, and the late night hosts uh, had a pretty good time playing with that. It's no surprise he went to the Boy Scouts. With all his scandals, he needs someone who's good at putting out fires. <laughs> President Trump gave a big speech at the Boy Scouts of America National Scout Jamboree. And this is cool, his health care bill won the award for a scariest campfire story. It looks like about 45,000 people. You set a record today. You know they were going to be there anyway, right? 
it's their event, not yours. I can't believe all these people turned out for the Super Bowl just because I'm here. <laughs> I'm also, I gotta say, and I'll say this, I'm very honored that there are seven billion people on Earth right now. It's a new record, just to see me. President Trump <laughs> spoke yesterday at the Boy Scout Jamboree and bragged about his election victory over Hillary Clinton. And every scout in attendance earned the merit badge for eye-rolling. <laughs> Trump told the scouts that Health and Human Resources Secretary Tom Price would be fired if Congress doesn't repeal and replace Obamacare. To which the Boy Scouts replied, dude, we're 10. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I don't know if you were watching looking at the Twitterverse when this all broke down, but um, the reaction from den mothers and den fathers and scout people and former scouts and congress so many sitting congressmen who were eagle scouts there's so many and they kind of universally lost their minds uh, of how i mean there were things bandied around which were more terms that you would usually want to say like hitler youth rally uh because he was getting these kids to cheer for the word the one that made me most uncomfortable was he got the boy scouts at least some of them to cheer the attack of the previous president. Mm. I mean, that's unimaginable for a Boy Scout. Who, who was, was a Boy Scout. Who was a Boy Scout as well. And you just, you just can't imagine going to a Boy Scout jamboree and saying, let's, let's attack the previous president for nothing, actually. He says, you never saw Mr. President Obama come here. Never saw Obama come to this. And it's like, no, but he was a scout. And he didn't have to come to the Boy Scout jamboree because he already supported them, <laughs> you know. So it was pretty appalling. Um and then they had, to, they had the most random narcissistic moments or moments to try to... It was, he forgot he was talking to a bunch of kids. You know, he thought he was talking to his rally. He was back in front of his, you know, Make America Great guys and gals who love him. And so he threw out a red meat like, like this one, you know. Trump laid out his bold vision for the future. And by the way, under the Trump administration, you'll be saying Merry Christmas again when you go shopping, believe me. Merry Christmas. They've been downplaying that little beautiful phrase. Yes, they are downplaying it for some reason. I'm just spitballing here. Maybe because it's July. <laughs> so uh, I had to throw punchlines in there because otherwise it would just make your head absolutely explode. That hit whole... the war on Christmas. Oh my God, the whole war on Christmas thing <sighs> is such BS, which it's ironic that I have this next story, but last Christmas, I bought my Christmas tree from the Boy Scouts. Oh, there you go. And they, anyway, so I had bought the wrong size Christmas tree and <laughs> Spike was not happy with the small tree that I bought. And <laughs> it's a little Charlie Brown tree. So I, you know, I called them back and I was like, I, I bought the, you know, the wrong size. And I have to tell you, this is a true story. I'm not even saying it for this show or this episode. These young men were so nice and yeah. so polite. And they said, oh, ma'am, and you know, well, what size were you thinking? And not a problem. We're going to come to your house. We're going to pick up the tree. We're going to bring you. We're going to bring you a tree that, you know, sounds like what you would better like. We're not going to charge you for anything. Yeah. And they brought several trees for me. To, they were willing to unwrap the trees, bring them in the house, set them up. Do you like this? Would you like wow. that? I did not make them go through that. But I was, so, they were so, 
these boys were so that's what you sweet teach. that's what you teach and so polite yeah. and so helpful yeah that in that moment i was like where's my closest boy scout chapter to sign my boys yeah. up i mean i was so that is a true story i was so impressed now my um my cousin's husband he's a retired major in the air force he's like an Eagle Scout leader because he was cool. a Boy Scout and all of their boys are Boy Scouts, Eagle Scouts. And, um, and you know, I've heard great stories from them, but it wasn't until that like personal experience yeah. where I was like, I got to sign these boys. You up. just illustrated why the Boy Scouts continue to be, continue to be a very successful organization because they, they purport and live that creed of honor and respect and courage so diligently and so pervasively that, that your your story is a typical one, yeah. And so, then in comes, uh, and now it's for a Christmas tree, yeah. And this uh, Colbert had some fun at with the moment that he kind of forgot that he was talking to a bunch of ten year olds, which was. And then, as if Trump's insecurities and personal obsessions were not enough to pour poison into the ears of children, he told him this story, and he was a very successful man. Became unbelievable. He was a home builder. Became an unbelievable success. Talking about a friend of his. And got more and more successful. And he did this for 20 years. And then he was offered a lot of money for his company. Okay. And he sold his company. Okay. For a tremendous amount of money. And he went out and bought a big yacht. Okay. And he had a very interesting life. I won't go any more than that because you're Boy Scouts, so I'm not going to tell you what he did. That's... Goes on. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you're Boy Scouts, but you know life. You know life. Yeah. That's you're Boy so Scouts, disrespectful. but you know life. You know, billionaires, international waters, on a yacht, no witnesses, gambling, cockfights, some ladies, everybody's wearing loose clothes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I forget where I was going with this. Anyway, work hard, kids. Yeah. I mean, thank God that Colbert can make fun of it, but that really happens. So... Was the, could you tell, was the crowd when he was like, should I tell you, it's not, were they wanting well, more or not wanting more? The, there was a lot of applause Mixed. and noise from the crowd, and the rest of everybody else was silent. So what I, what I read from the accounts was half the group and every adult, just about, except for the real Make America Great, yeah, Because America. obviously what he was implying was sex and... Drugs and partying and just, which is, you know... Does, I mean, I Can I tell you? No, I gotta not tell you. Oh Can God. I tell you those Boy Scouts that went out of their way to deliver the right tree, who addressed me as ma'am? Yeah. And they ranged in age because it was like, it was so cute. It was like four of them. So there was like the two in the front driving, which were the older right, ones. And right. then, you know, they, I, the youngest one was 12. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're, I can't imagine their mothers yeah. would be happy. Yeah. With anyone, much less the president, talking, you know, that way about life and women and that yeah. that, that is what to aspire to. And it's amazing because that overshadowed his two speeches recently, the one uh, for the Gerald Ford, the, the christening just recently, where he stood in front of a bunch of military folks and told them to call their congressmen and, and attack their congressmen for, for the health care bill. And you say, oh, okay. And he's treated, he started to treat this room full of military folks as a political rally and telling them what to do. Well, all my military, I didn't serve, but all my military friends said, you know, when the commander chief comes in and tells you things, you're supposed to do it. And so right away, there was this instant conflict of like, wait a minute, our commander chief is giving in what appears to be an order. 
<laughs> and what are we supposed to do there? And by the way, it is an illegal order. It is against the Uniform Military Code for you to create, to take partisan positions and to get involved in political uh, activities like that. It's against the rules. And so he was, it was, it was a commander in chief giving an order to the student to do an immoral order. And so that was overshadowed because he went in with the Boy Scouts and said, crazy talk in front of 10 year old boys. And you're just like, wow. And then his whole thing on loyalty bragged about, I'll give you a taste a little bit of it because it was like, I'm thinking, after introducing actual former Boy Scout <laughs> Energy Secretary Rick Perry, Trump explained to the boys what a great job his administration is doing. And very soon, Rick, we will be an energy exporter. Isn't that nice? Okay, kids, who wants a merit badge in fracking? Anybody? <laughs> then he introduced another member of his cabinet. Secretary Tom Price is also here, and he's doing a great job. And hopefully, he's going to get the votes tomorrow to start our path toward killing this horrible thing known as Obamacare. Mm -hmm. By the way, you're going to get the votes? Hope so. He better get them. He better get them. Oh, he better. Otherwise, I'll say, Tom, you're fired. Yeah. I'll fire him right now. I'll fire him right now. Kids, who wants to see a grown man cry? Anybody? <laughs> All right. I mean, loyalty. And he's talking about loyalty. His, his narcissism is on full and complete display for everyone to see, including a room full of Boy Scouts. He couldn't even reserve it to adults, you know. This is that where is we are. Pathetic. It is beyond pathetic. And the question, of course, begins uh, becomes how much longer will the Republican family deal with him? And the te uh, Erica teased that. So coming up, uh, Jeff Sessions and what that says, because this is a real indicator of the trajectory of the Republican Party and where the two parts are going, where the patriots are rising and the tree traders are treasoning. This is Jeff's world. Waking up to kiss you and nobody's there. You're listening to Jeff's World. This is where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Fairston uh, talking about the, uh, well, the Kobayashi Maru of uh, the Republican Party as far as where they're going. And then uh, Jeff Sessions, the humiliation, it's like a movie, the humiliation of Jeff Sessions, who has announces the third day that uh, the president has railed on him on Twitter. There seems to be every indication that he's praying and hoping that Jeff Sessions will quit. But Jeff Sessions has made it very clear he is not quitting. <laughs> uh, you know, the legal papers came up with that. I was watching like a site called Lawfare and these other sites where they uh, talk about, uh, you know, the legal uh, Republicans and, and, the, and the legal ramifications of it all. And they call him the kamikaze president. Uh, and Jeff Sessions is one of the big reasons why. And uh, I think here, here's... <laughs> We kind of get into the psychology of it a little bit, right? Well, why do we want? Why does he want Jeff Sessions to quit? Well, he wants him to quit. So we I can... don't think he does. But okay, I'll I think go he with wants, your premise. No, I, I'm, I'm, you're right. I think he probably just wants to be disappointed with him. This is if you look. This is the same thing he did with Steve Bannon. Right. He. He wants uh, him to suck up to him he, and show loyalty. That's that's all he wants. He actually Kiss doesn't want him. That's right. And and Steve Bannon showed that if you take it, yeah, and you stick with it. He's he's not going to fire you. He didn't fire Steve Bannon. Yeah. And he's not going to fire Jeff Sessions. Yeah. It's not going to happen. No. Okay, but then No, you're like, right. I can't predict anything Trump is going to do because no, I know. he is so I know. But it's it's I don't think he really does want to has the intention of firing. He's just that's just part of 
you know, working with Trump. You're, you know, you're a Occasional hero demands of loyalty. to him one day and then he's berating and humiliating you to keep you in your place the next. Yeah. Yeah. But and, go ahead. And giving red meat to the base because he keeps saying about how, well, you should go after Hillary and all Hillary's things. And of course, the, the base loves that because they love to hate Hillary, uh, even though I don't think she's president. Have I done checked recently? I don't believe she's in actual any office at all. So, nope. but you know, we should go after her. Um, so, <laughs> but they, I love it. One of the uh, pundits or Republicans I was listening to said they called it uh, the stuff with Sessions, Titanic levels of passive aggressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? He doesn't actually like firing people, they said, despite the catchphrase. Mm-hmm. He just wants loyalty. He wants to be loved. Again, that's right. He doesn't want to learn anything. He doesn't want to study anything. He doesn't want to have to know anything. He just wants everyone to say, you're the best and do it every, and, and you get to be in charge. You're the best and you get to make the rules. And that's been his whole life. He's surrounded himself with people But then like that. that doesn't work out. Nope, because not in politics. Because when you have people around you that just, like, the young, you know, rock star analogy we said earlier, what happens is you make mistakes because you never learned anything. You weren't curious about anything. You didn't ask anything. Yeah. And so you start failing, and then that's when he turns on you. Right. Well, this is your fault. It's your fault. I didn't fail. It's your fault. Find somebody else's fault. So the reason he would want sessions to not only so i think you're right i i I didn't even miss that myself but the narcissism is first and foremost he wants love from jeff sessions and so that's what he's demanding the biggest way and but he also the so the theory goes that he keeps asking if he can fire jeff sessions and how to fire jeff sessions because he wants to get rid of bob Mueller. And if he gets a new attorney general, and of course everybody's right to point out that if he if he fired Sessions and got a new attorney general, then they would go through the Senate confirmation process. And the first question and the last question and every question in between would be, uh, are you going to respect the special, special prosecutor's position and not fire him? And of course, you'd have to have the, the most evil Manchurian candidate to deny that. But there's the other part of the story, and you know this, is, and it's been talked about. In fact, here's Al Franken talking about the recess appointment uh, situation. This idea of the president uh, firing him so that he can re so he can appoint do a recess appointment of an attorney uh, general who can then fire Mueller that's a constitutional crisis that would create a constitutional crisis. I, I hope that it would be outrage, and uh, I would hope that Congress would rise to the moment and uh, do a new special counsel or a special prosecutor law and reappoint Bob Mueller to head that. And I think he's right about that. I think Al Franken is right that there would be not only a constitutional crisis, but that even Republicans in Congress would step up. Well, what he's doing right now by continually humiliating Jeff Sessions is he's creating a Trump base crisis. Yes. Yes. And thank you for that was the next pivot. Go. Well, because Jeff Sessions is, along with Steve Bannon, is yep. so anti-immigrant yeah. that anyone else that would be appointed in that place would be less. Right. Would be more, you know, pro-immigrant or less anti-immigrant than Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. He's, you can't get any more extreme. And so he's the politician policies that he's you know upholding is exactly what the trump base wants yeah and and to, to yeah so it's it's like so to them there are two you know parental figures 
dad, I guess, would be Donald, and I guess mom would be Jeffrey Beauregard. Right. It's they're watching their parents fight. Yeah, and to 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 piggyback on what she's saying, it is so playing out. I, of course, I'm, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh and Breitbart and Newsmax, and all of them to a T were were talking about how awesome Jeff Sessions is. And I'll give you give give the conservatives. Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions are on the same team. Yes, and know this too that when Jeff Sessions he came on, obviously early and then as soon as he was going to be nominated for AG and as soon as the White House was in transition he was leading the transition as you may recall he almost all of his Senate staff is moved over to the White House they're all working there these are all Jeff Sessions people too which makes it even more complicated but I'll give some Republicans credit on this and if you're a conservative there's been a problem, as I've complained. I've made fun of y'all that you're not you're against everything and not for anything. Well, I'll give you credit. In the case of Jeff Sessions, there is a wing of the Republican Party who is for no immigration. And when Erica says he's anti-immigration, he has literally gone on the record saying, I don't want any immigrants at all, not even legally. That's right. He means a total stopping of new people from other countries coming to America, period, for the purpose of preserving the percentage of white folks. That's where he made Ted Cruz look like a progressive Mm -hmm. on the immigration issue. And so the Bannons, all these folks who were or, or believed in their words, were their words, that white folks are dispossessed. And in the process of being dispossessed, meaning they're no longer going to be in control of America, America... Jeff Sessions has been their hero, which is why they're on Lush Limbaugh and all these folks have just been going completely ape for him because not only do they support the really hardcore anti-immigrant stuff, but he also supports, as you've been seeing, asset forfeiture as a Department of Justice. They believe that works even though Explain both... Explain Repo- to people what asset forfeiture is. On the arrest, the simple suspicion of, in most cases, in the, the words done, drug crimes, you can take their property, their cars, their their money, their anything, any any asset forfeiture, as well as freeze their bank accounts. That has been proven by both parties to not only be an ineffective deterrent of crime, it also ends up being so costly for municipalities and states because they're in so many constitutional violations that when they forfeit assets, they end up spending so much more money and time and lawyering to fight, to, to defend it in courts. This this is one of the most, like, this is where corruption is at its yeah. hilt among the police departments. Yes. So remember, just because a person is arrested does not mean that they have been found guilty. Right. So it's not that Remember they've been that found guilty yeah. of a crime. It just means that a cop pulled them over and then said, you're under arrest, put the handcuffs, and they seize their, you know, they seize all of their property, yeah. their money. Yeah. And so this is what Jeff... Jefferson Beauregard says Sessions, Sessions the third. Be, you know, believes in and supporting. Has that, hasn't that been like already put in place they're now? starting to i don't i don't have an i haven't read anything of an actual forfeiture or a case yet i'm sure it was a bubbles up or great reporters are out there we're going to grab it of course uh, and the same thing that goes with the immigrant where the, he's uh, stepping up the, he's going to start attacking sanctuary cities mm-hmm. and try to find a way to penalize them through whatever federal arm he can raising again mandatory minimums raising sentences all of these things have been proven by law enforcement law enforcement agencies law enforcement advocacy groups law enforcement unions they all are against it it is. It was one of the few things that people that, that law enforcement's unanimous on, and they were st- against what they were against these mandatory minimums and sentences that were disproportionate. It didn't help 
their case and it only put more people in jails. It's great for the prison system, bad for for everyone else. For justice and bad democracy. For justice, it bad means for your everyone. judge has no uh, ability to, to exer- judge. To judge. <laughs> to even, you know. So Just a side note. Sure. Um Donald Trump's mom mm. was an immigrant. Right. From Scotland. There you go. Jefferson Sessions would not let her in if he had his way. She immigrated here and met the father here. Right. So Jeff Sessions is not going to quit because he is in the most excited position. Now, you you do do a little history. Google Jeff Sessions because before he was a senator, he was an attorney general of Alabama. And so... And he already got in trouble for doing things that were that that caused more state lawyering to undo his mistakes than was any value of his uh, enforcement. So, but he's salivating, and he's got the support of the far right, who once again to reestablish the old ideas of a patriarchal white society. And it, so, he's not going anywhere. And it's telling us about the trajectory. And again, I'll give you Republicans credit for being for something instead of against something, even though what you're for, I think, is not going to work. I don't believe that disproportionate punishment and all these sorts of things, since they've been proven to be ineffective, they're not. But help yourself. You can put that on the national discourse and see how it goes. So he's not going to re- he's not going to quit. And then the recess appointment, if he even tried that, because that's the only reason that he would fire him, I think, is if it gets to the point where it's obvious the Russian collusion and the Russian money laundering is at his doorstep. Then he might try to recess a point. So Democrats, though, and here's a funny irony, uh, they're keeping the Senate open, of course. The Senate is still in session while they try to pass this health care bill, which has delayed the opportunity for, for Donald Trump to uh, to do a recess appointments of anything. <laughs> and uh, and Dick Durbin and, other, uh, and, and, and Schumer and all these folks, the Democrats, have made it clear that they're going to try to keep the Senate open to prevent this recess appointment. So, But if he does... If he did it and dumped Bob Mueller, I'm 99% confident that even this Republican Congress would immediately reestablish the special prosecutor rule and he'd be right back to business in the next day. He would be out of business for 24 hours. But Nixon tried it. didn't work. He tried to, of course, uh, and also, too, a little, little fun fact about history. When, when it was going on with Nixon, the lawyers and prosecutors who were working in the Justice Department saw it coming and they uh, made copies of all the relevant documents and took it to their homes, which um, could have been an, a, a somewhat illegal or hinky, but uh, it ended up being patriot, patriotic, obviously, in the context of what we've experienced. So, all right. So uh, coming up, we're going to do with the lightning round what little there is of it and hit Russia because I know it's a big story, but there are a few new uh, developments there. And we're because obviously Jared Kushner went in and talked to people. So we'll talk about Jared Kushner. And I want to get Erica's opinion on uh, body language analysis of Jared Kushner. This is Jeff's World. If you look at what's happening now, according to this, this poll, this Washington Post ABC poll, Obamacare is more popular than ever. It's 50% prefer Obamacare, 24% prefer the GOP plan. Donald Trump has done something Barack Obama was never able to do. Donald Trump has made Obamacare popular. <laughs> this is Jeff's world. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris. The Jeff Hendricks out. Well, uh, <laughs> what you resist persists. Ying ding. Thank you. And he's you. got the might of the Republican Party. Oh my gosh. Resisting, hating yeah. Obamacare, and they got more of it. Yeah. There's is and it's yep. So that's uh, happening. And then meanwhile, in the Russia, 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 Russia situation. Uh, it just kind of moves along. You know, you saw this week uh, Jared Kushner 
uh, is trying to cover his butt. Now, I will give him credit. Everyone seems to agree, and I do too, that he's got the best lawyers of the group. And that isn't saying a lot because the Trumps have horrible lawyers that are completely unsuited and unqualified for this kind of investigation. But at least Jared Kushner got himself a criminal lawyer who was, who was getting him to make statements because everyone was watching his statement. And one of the things he said that uh, was so very smart and extremely well-crafted in his statement was, I have never relied upon Russian money for my businesses, mm. which makes it sound like he says, oh, I Doesn't never used he's it. he's taken it. He's never relied Light upon it. it. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very clever parsing. Everybody went through his statement and went, nice parsing, nice parsing. You know, and there was a lot of compliments. Nothing makes you sound more guilty, though. Right? I mean, that well-crafted, well-parsed statement says guilty. I mean, that's what... I, I, I mean, I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying that's how it reads. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same as I am not a crook. Yeah. So, okay. and, well. and you know, I watched the Republicans on the, the committee come out afterwards uh, and try to explain what they got from Kushner. And they, here's the tone. I won't bore with a lot of different clips because it was kind of the same thing. The tone was, me, I, Republican congressman, I'm trying to do everything I can to believe that these guys might be innocent. And so they were taking every little piece they could and said, well, he might have been able to just have been exposed to the Russians and didn't really do anything. And we're not really sure. And I'm taking him as his word. And they really want to take them at their word. They really want this not to be true. And I understand that. I don't fault anybody for not wanting something to be true. If your own kid was you know, busted, you, you, want, you don't want to believe they were, they're a criminal. I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's not going to change the truth. Because there is still this thing that definitely in the Trump White House is this attitude that if I can convince the crowd, I'm okay. And that's not how it works in justice, American justice. You have to actually not break the law. <laughs> yeah, Trump thinks this is a PR war yeah. and not a criminal Better matter. Said. But it's PR doesn't count in the courtroom. And the other ones within there, the, the Democrats who were in the Kushner secret uh, you know, conference there or secret interview said that they what they gleaned was that they, that – Kushner's theme throughout was to defend the president, that he's doing everything he can to defend the president. And so there he's got the loyalty. That's why Kushner is in charge of everything <laughs> policy wise, because clearly he knows how to, to to absolutely serve the master. And that makes Donald Trump happy. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes for him. But I would say in the in the in the cop show analogy, the historical drama, the we, we uh, we're in the middle book. We are in the, we're in the, in, if it's a trilogy, we're in the middle movie of this trilogy where it all looks kind of the darkest and scariest, but there's, it's going to pay off in a big way. This is definitely a kamikaze president, as they say. And, um, and the other thing was Manafort, who, if you're following the news, was told to come in and give documents and information, and he was stonewalling, so they subpoenaed him. And then my liberal friends got very upset when they rescinded the subpoena, but they did exactly what you're supposed to do. They did the subpoena, and then Paul Manafort started complying with the next step and started handing over documents because he wasn't handing over documents at all, let alone interviewing. So he interviewed, not under oath, just interview, and he said, well, why didn't he put him under oath, and, and why did they make him testify? Listen, this is the process. Talk to a prosecutor if you want more explanation. They are in the... How do I put this? The the document comparison stage. The exploration phase. Yes, it's it's discovery. And so they're looking at these documents and they want to see his documents to see how they compare to what they've gotten. And I can assure you, for instance, Bob Mueller, he's got the tax returns. 
He's got the financial transactions. They all do. And now they're looking to see if Paul Manafort's story matches. And it's actually from, it's kind of a disadvantage to a degree to their defense that they're not speaking in public. Because by not speaking in public, they can't make sure their testimonies match. If they said it out loud in the Senate, then the first one says something, the next one could just repeat it, the next one could just repeat it. And now they don't know what they're doing. They can sure, they can they can talk to each other afterwards and say, this is what I said. But there's nothing to compare to being able to say it out loud, see what the reaction is, and then try to duplicate that reaction. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that benefit. And so the prosecutors would prefer it to be secretive because they want to make witnesses lie. They want to catch them in their lies instead of catching them corroborating. Right. So, you know, anyway. they know what they're doing. Hey, I have great confidence in Bob Mueller. And I don't have any question in my mind. I also have confidence on all these other topics of of the healthcare. I have confidence in people in wheelchairs. And I have confidence that that this is not going to, this is going to go well. And that's why I say that, because I want everyone to be able to look, step back and say, this is going to have a happy ending. This really is just the second second movie in a trilogy. It, it's the scariest. We were in the middle of a cliffhanger. <laughs> it feels like everything's going to go horrible. But I, as, as we like to say in the consciousness world, darkness never wins out. God, for, it's so funny. Earlier today, I was thinking about the Republican Senate and, you know, Trump gets a lot of um, bashing for, you know, the wealth care bill. Yeah. But it's really it's really not Trump. I mean, he's 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 a figure who could veto it or not. Exactly. But it's the Republican yeah. Congress. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are like the bad senators in Star Wars. <laughs> I know. You're not the good senators. You're you're just like the bad evil <laughs> they went with the empire. senators. Yeah. Yes. And and Trump, you know, it comes that phrase comes to my mind, is it better to be loved or feared? You and I would definitely say loved. And it's like, okay, Jared Kushner is all about being loyal to Trump and defending and defending, but guess what happens as Trump gets older? Yeah. Eventually, Trump loses the power he wields. And the only loyalty he had was through fear. And guess what those people end up doing? Yeah. Fear begets fear, y'all. Love begets love. So this has been another edition of Jeff's World. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us on Facebook or Twitter. If you ever want to actually interact with the show, we're hooking my dang phone line back up. You can even call in if you're so inspired. Message us on Facebook is probably the best way or even on Twitter. And uh, if you want to jump into the conversation, it could be lively. Uh, Hopefully next week, uh, Jeff Hendrick will be back as well. Peace out. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.